We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Flying solo uh, tonight. It is Wednesday night. Give Chris the night off. Just had a couple of things I wanted to go over as we give you an episode every day leading up to the NFC Championship game. And of course, if the 49ers win on Sunday, which we'll talk about in the pod we record on Thursday, which will drop on Friday. If the 49ers win, I think we'll just keep doing pods every day and give you a little bit of something leading up to the Super Bowl. But had some news and some notes to go over, got some injury news, and then the NFL Honors finalists came out, and there are 49ers everywhere. So I'll go through each of those and San Francisco's chance to take home one of those awards, which uh, are February 9th, the Thursday before the Super Bowl. So before we get into that, I want to remind you we are sponsored by Cooperage Brewing. You can visit the brewery. It's in Santa Rosa. It's right there in the North Bay. It's a really great spot. I, I genuinely love hanging out in Santa Rosa, and Cooperage Brewing is a great place to kick it. You can sit inside. You can sit outside. You can bring a dog. You can watch football there. Uh, the vibes are always good. They've always got a really great food truck. I always see the photos, and it makes me want to go. Like The beer's great, but sometimes it's like, man, I could just go for, for a bite right now. So go do that. Hang out at Cooperage. If you can't, or if you can and you're sitting at home and you want to order some beer, go to cooperagebrewing.com. you got to be 21 and up, and you got to be in the state of California, but they will ship beer, a case of beer, directly to your door. Just go online, cooperagebrewing.com, and order that. They'll send it right to you. You get cold beer delivered to your front door, and it is the single best way, I say it every time, the single best way to acquire beer. All right, let's talk about the 49ers real quick. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. So a couple interesting things came out of Wednesday. So we have the NFL Honors Awards finalists that we'll get to. But the 49ers first practice report of the week came out. And Kyle Shanahan is kind of interesting. So Kyle Shanahan said before practice that Debo Samuel would not participate in the practice because of an ankle injury. 
And Shanahan said, quote, it's been there for a little bit. I think he'll be all right, but it concerned us enough to not let him go today. But then come, then comes practice, the portion open to the media, and Debo Samuel's out there, suited up, going through warm-ups like normal. And he was listed as a limited participant. So Shanahan indicated that, that, there was optimism that Samuel would be able to play Sunday and that this was just kind of some maintenance on on that ankle that he injured back in week 14 against the Buccaneers that left him out for three games. But it looks like the fact that he was limited instead of out indicates to me that he'll very likely be good to go Sunday. A couple other notes from that. Uh, Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell both not practicing Um, McCaffrey with that calf injury, Elijah Mitchell with the groin injury. They're both guys that even if they don't practice Thursday, I'm not super concerned. Now, if we get into Friday and they're still not on the field, that's where, you know, it raises the eyebrows a little bit, but definitely worth keeping an eye on. But the fact that they are no goes on Wednesday is not a huge surprise. Shanahan said on Monday that They'd manage those injuries. The guys would be day-to-day, and that he was hopeful they'd be able to play on Sunday. So the fact that there's not been any major reporting that those injuries are worse than expected leads me to believe that that they'll be ready to rock. The other thing that jumped out to me was Jimmy Garoppolo did not practice again. Shanahan said he's unlikely to practice this week, which would rule him out to make his return as the 49ers backup quarterback for the NFC Championship game. So it'll be the same one, two. It'll be Purdy, one, and Josh Johnson, two. There's been some kind of, I don't want to say conflicting reporting on Jimmy Garoppolo's foot injury and his timeline for return, but when it when it was initially reported that he didn't need surgery and there was a seven-week recovery time, which would put him back in time to return for the NFC title game, Kyle Shanahan made the point that that's just a return. That's like to be medically cool to move around. That doesn't mean he's football ready or in football shape or ready to take the field and protect himself and help the team. And it's just pretty clear that, again, since he's not even on the practice field and not anticipating practicing this week or the team doesn't anticipate that he'll practice this week, it it was always a long shot and it appears to be off the table now. You know, never say never. But it would appear that that Josh Johnson will be the 49ers QB2 for the NFC Championship game and not Jimmy Garoppolo. One last thing, small thing, Ambry Thomas, he was back in practice. He was limited with an ankle injury that has kept him out the last couple of weeks. So Ambry Thomas back on the field. He had been replaced the last couple of weeks by Janoris Jenkins. So Ambry Thomas, mostly a special teams contributor, but... He was back in practice on Wednesday. And then Kyle Shanahan also mentioned, this is something from the practice report, but not really. Kyle Shanahan said that the team is not going to move forward with any kind of punishment for Charles Omenahu right now, who was arrested for a misdemeanor domestic violence. So he is um, he is going to stay with the team. He was limited in practice. And it doesn't sound like anything is going to happen on that front, at least uh, in the immediate. So that's kind of where that stands for now. Um, You know, the NFL's handling of domestic violence issues has not been great. (laughs) In fact, in in a lot of cases, it's it's been pretty bad. But this was expected.
the 49ers weren't going to pull the plug on Charles Omenahu because that's just not how this goes, even if we would like it to. Even if we would like the NFL to handle domestic violence in a better way, even if we would like there to be this, you know, every team says there's a zero tolerance policy, but that's to a point. That's a zero tolerance policy once they've done all the fact finding and they've let the legal process play out. They're always, always going to do that. And that was always what the 49ers were going to do. So the fact that Kyle Shanahan came out today and said, you know, haven't found anything that says we're going to kick him off the team, like that just, that at, at this point in the process, that's how the NFL has has operated. And again, whether we would like to see it be different, um, would we? Y- yes, definitely. The NFL needs to handle domestic violence better than it has. But this was 100% the, the way, if you were scripting how, how the 49ers would handle this, they have just kind of followed the typical process that NFL teams have gone through to a T. So not a huge shock that Charles Omena, who was on the field and was practicing in a limited fashion with that oblique injury on uh, on Wednesday. Jumping over away from the practice report and some news that dropped early, really rapid early drop of news. I'm sitting there in traffic. I'm on the Bay Bridge. And I because I, I drove into San Francisco today. I had to pick up my folks from the airport, which is actually a pretty pleasant experience. Not super crowded at SFO. Shout out to SFO. Um, I also, I always miss an exit going to the San Francisco airport that makes it like 10 extra minutes. I did not miss that exit today. So shout out to me for that. That was a big time W for your boy, but I'm, I'm driving into work today. I usually take Bart, shout out to Bart, Bart and you're there, uh, sponsor the pod, Bart. Anyways, I'm, I'm driving in, I'm sitting on the Bay bridge and my phone just starts blowing up. I'm getting slack, uh, messages from, from my, my NFL wire group. I'm getting text alerts or, or tweet alerts. I have tweet alerts on for like Ian Rappaport and Tom Pelissero and Adam Schefter and all the NFL newsbreakers getting blown up by those guys with their tweets talking about the NFL honors awards. All the finalists were announced for the various awards. It's MVP, offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year. And all of these are given. And these are the official ones. These are the AP awards. These aren't PFF for the pro football writers of America. These are the official, like, on the record, who, whoever wins this MVP is the NFL's MVP. So that takes place on February 9th, the NFL Honors Ceremony. That's the Thursday before the Super Bowl. And the Niners are going to be well represented at the NFL Honors Ceremony. They have five players and coaches up for awards. So... Brock Purdy is officially one of the three finalists for Offensive Rookie of the Year. He is right there with Jets wide receiver Garrett Wilson and Seahawks running back Kenneth Walker. If you're looking at the betting odds, Wilson and Walker are both favored above Purdy to win it. But I think, I I wouldn't bet on Purdy to win. But I think if you're making the case, you know, it's tough because he only only made five regular season starts and, and, you know, had that sixth game against Miami where he didn't start, but he played a bulk of the games. So call him, he's he's technically 5-0 and in a starter, but let's give him 6-0 and just for the, the sake of argument. He only has six games under his belt. And was he really effective playing at the most important position on the field? Absolutely. 
was he the last pick in the draft and dramatically outshining his expectations? Yes, like a thousand percent. Brock Purdy has been one of the stories of the NFL this year. And frankly, if the 49ers win on Sunday, I think he will be the story of the NFL in 2023. If the 49ers win Sunday, I, 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 I would have a hard time finding a player who defined the 2023 season more than Brock Purdy. All that being said, with the way this voting goes and the way this award goes, positional value does not play in the way it does in MVP. Like the MVP has just kind of become a quarterback award, right? But for for Brock Purdy, the offensive rookie of the year award is not weighted towards quarterback in the same way. It's just like who is the most productive. And I think the first thing voters are going to do is they're going to look at his games played and he's just going to get docked a lot for that. And I think that's totally fair. Rookie of the year is just, hey, who is the best rookie? And it's hard to be considered the best rookie when you started five games and really played in six. Even though he was really good, and even though he's led the team, it's a regular season award, remember, you know, he's led the team to the NFC Championship game. I, I, I have a hard time believing that Brock Purdy is going to be the winner of, uh, of that award. Perhaps the least surprising news of the day, um, Nick Bosa is a Defensive Player of the Year finalist. They named two other players, I think, because they have to, but I would be floored if Nick Bosa does not win this award. Uh, Micah Parsons of the Dallas Cowboys, who we saw, he is a terror, man. He is such a freaking good player. They drafted him as an off-ball linebacker, and he's made his way in the NFL as a defensive end, pass-rushing dynamo, who can also play some coverage and do some stuff off the ball. He's a, he's He's an excellent player. He's a finalist. And then Chiefs defensive tackle Chris Jones. Kind of interesting. Chris Jones is the other finalist for the DPOY award. I would be shocked if Nick Bosa doesn't win it. Most productive pass rusher in the NFL. He led the league in sacks. He was the tip of the spear on the number one defense in the league and the number two seed in the NFC. Nick Bosa deserves the award, and I, I believe that he will win it. The third one is Coach of the Year, where Kyle Shanahan is one of the three finalists. He's right there with Jaguars head coach Doug Peterson and Giants head coach Brian Dayball. It's actually kind of fascinating, this award, because there is an easy case to make for Kyle Shanahan. Had to play three quarterbacks. They started three and four and then finished the season, the regular season, that is, 10-0. Again, regular season award, so we can't factor the, uh, the playoffs in here. So they finished the regular season 10-0, did it with three quarterbacks. Brock Purdy was is a, is a Offensive Rookie of the Year finalist, due in large part to Kyle Shanahan. Second year in a row, the team has been under 500 through seven weeks, and the second year in a row that they've made the playoffs. This year, they won the division. I think it was at week 15 that they won the division. Um, I think just a really, really incredible job by Kyle Shanahan this year, and he absolutely deserves to be to be recognized as a finalist. But then you have a coach like Doug Peterson who took the Jags who were abysmal last year and you had Trevor Lawrence who had question marks all over him and how productive he was going to be as a player and you have Doug Peterson step in and suddenly the Jags look like they're going to dominate that division uh, for the next 10 years. Not that the AFC South has a super high bar to clear, but the Jags just looked competent in a way that they haven't looked in a long long time. Thanks in large part to, to Doug Peterson's arrival and being an adult in the building there in a way that Urban Meyer never really was. And then you've got a guy like Brian Dable, 
who in a similar way worked with Daniel Jones, although it doesn't Daniel Jones doesn't look like he's going to be a top five QB here in the next couple of years. Trevor Lawrence kind of does, uh, you know, I get postseason performance aside and the, was it three or four interceptions that he threw in the, in the divisional round that was, or in the, in the wild card round, that was a disaster. But um, no, Brian Dable, when you look at the fact that that team made the playoffs and finished above 500 and you just look at kind of their roster and you look at the fact that Richie James, God love him, was getting like serious burn at wide receiver for them. Like their roster is just not great. That was not a roster that should have been sniffing the playoffs. And they did. And I think especially early in the year, they started six and one. And I think it was in large part because of what Brian Dable was doing um, with, with their offense and their defense is, is I think pretty talented, but especially offensively, like getting the best out of Daniel Jones and he gets Saquon Barkley coming back and looking like the player that they thought they were getting when they drafted him uh, super high a few years back. It was a really, really impressive job by Brian Dable too. So I think all three coaches have a, have a really, really strong case. It's just a matter of are, are the voters going to look at the Niners roster, look how loaded it is and dock Kyle Shanahan for that. Despite the fact that they had to play three quarterbacks. I don't know. And I think you have to factor in with Kyle Shanahan. You have to factor in the personnel control that he has and the fact that they swung that trade for Christian McCaffrey and just very rapidly made it work. I think that has to, to factor in too. I think if I had a vote, I'd vote for Kyle Shanahan. Maybe that's because I, I am engulfed by the 49ers on a daily basis. But I, I really I really think Doug Peterson and Brian Dable have, have great cases. But man, what Shanahan did this year was was super, super impressive. Another 49ers coach up for an award. It turns out assistant coach of the year is an award. I learned that today. I was today years old when I learned that. And if you're just learning that, shout out to to you. Welcome welcome to the club. So D'Amico Ryans, of course, was a finalist for that. He's right there with Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson and Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen. Uh, Steichen? 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 Steichen. Steichen. I'm going with Steichen. So I think the case for D'Amico Ryans is... It feels like the Ben Johnsons and the Shane Steikens of the world, the Shane S's of the world. I feel like those guys are a dime a dozen. And I know that I know they're not like really good offensive coordinators are hard to find, but, but it feels like now you're getting guys from the McVay tree, from the Shanahan tree. Um, You're, 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 you're seeing more and more teams have offenses that are just really quarterback friendly. And, what D'Amico Ryans has done in this era, and is the defense loaded? Like, yes, absolutely. But what he does schematically, like this isn't just a, like the Legion of Boom Seahawks. It was for the most part like, yeah, hey, going to line up, going to play this cover three and beat everybody one-on-one and you're just not going to beat us. That was kind of the defensive philosophy. The Niners are are not necessarily like that. Like they move things around and they're not going to throw the same defense at you every week. You see some weeks where they blitz a lot and other weeks where they don't. And I just, I I think that there's more to their defensive success than just having Nick Bosa and Fred Warner and Traverius Ward, Jimmy Ward and Talano Fonga and Dre Greenlaw. Like they're, they're Eric Armstead. They're just, they're loaded, but I think there's more to it than that. And the fact that their defense was as good as it was with only one, uh, two, 
with only two real hiccups all year, I'm not counting the the Falcons game because when you take Nick Bosa out of this defense and you had no Eric Armstead and no Javon Kinlaw and Samson Abicom was banged up and Traverius Ward got hurt during that game. It's just a weird game. It's the second game on a road on a on an East Coast uh, a two game East Coast road trip. So I'm going to wipe that game out. But the the Chiefs game was really bad and then the Raider game of course at the end of the year was was not great. But outside of that, they were just dominant. They were so freaking good, man. And I think a defensive coach in this era should get a nod over an offensive coach. Even even though, you know, Ben Johnson did did great stuff with with Jared Goff and made him look as good as he's ever looked and Shane uh Steichen, <laughs> I just I I keep going to the name even though I'm not 100% sure um how to how to pronounce it. But even with him, like yeah, Jalen Hurts took a step this year, but man, they have AJ Brown and and they have they have Devontae Smith and their offensive line is awesome. And it just feels like there's maybe 10 other guys, I don't know, let's say 10 other guys who could have gotten a really good year out of the Eagles defense, uh, Eagles offense. I'm not sure how many guys would have gotten this year out of the Niners defense. I think other coaches could have ha- had them be really good because they're just super talented, but they were just on a on a seemingly different level than every other defense. And I think that's a testament to D'Amico Ryans. It's why he is one of the top head coaching candidates on the market this year. And I think it's why he should be the assistant coach of the year. If I was betting, I would bet on D'Amico Ryans. The last one is the comeback player of the year where running back Christian McCaffrey is a finalist alongside Giants running back Saquon Barkley and Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith. I don't think McCaffrey's winning this one. He missed 10 games last year. And the year before that, he missed he missed 13 games. So he missed 23 games the last two years. This year, he's been very healthy. And he has catalyzed, you know, for... for Jimmy Garoppolo is playing better when he got hurt and Brock Purdy has been really good. And some of the things he does off script have really helped the Niners offense. Like that's a hundred percent, but Christian McCaffrey stepping in and being as good as he's been to the point that the Niners lost Debo Samuel for multiple games. And just, it was, it was like a non-factor. Like they missed Debo Samuel for three games at the end of the year. And when he came back, it was like, oh, yeah, Debo. That's nuts. That shouldn't happen. Debo is an incredible player. You shouldn't lose him for three weeks and just be like, that's fine. And it was, in large part, to Christian McCaffrey. Of this group, I think Christian McCaffrey has been the most impactful. But you got Saquon Barkley, who's coming off the ACL and then just hasn't hasn't really been himself. Uh, He was great his first year, tore his ACL, and last year wasn't great. But this year was just excellent on that Giants team that we talked about earlier that just really, really overachieved. And I think he was their offensive MVP by a pretty wide margin. Like, it's not like Saquon is in an offense with all these, you know, receivers and tight ends and a great quarterback and all, you know, teams can't load up against him. Like he's the guy to stop. And he still had an awesome year. And he's on the East coast which probably helps in the voting. And then Geno Smith, because comeback player of the year, doubles as like most improved and Geno Smith he was really really good for the Seahawks this year like no doubt best year of his career looks like he is a starting NFL quarterback after he had been kind of just left for dead and and was roaming the league as a backup so really really great story 
And I think that that's something that, that people would probably latch onto more than, oh, look, Christian McCaffrey, this really good player, got healthy, went to a really good team, and was really good, of course. So I don't I don't think McCaffrey wins this award. My my thought is it goes to Saquon, but um, he is he is one of the finalists. And if he wins it, I would not be super floored because the injury history was was one of the things, one of the big concerns when the Niners traded for him. Like, can they keep him healthy? They have issues in the running back room, keeping guys healthy, and now they're trading for Christian McCaffrey. The last two years hasn't been. It's a huge risk, but uh, ultimately it's paid off. So he definitely deserves to be a finalist. Wouldn't be floored if he won, but I'd be I would definitely be a little bit surprised. One last thing before we get out of here, just on the Christian McCaffrey front, um, in relation to draft picks, because the Niners gave up the four draft picks, a second, third, and fourth in this year's draft, and then a fifth in next year's draft. The uh over the cap, one of our, our favorite NFL salary cap websites. Nick Cordy of Over the Cap gave some projections for comp picks. Now, the comp pick formula, the exact comp pick formula isn't public, but there are some very smart people who have kind of figured out and devised a way to be very, very accurate with their comp pick projections. So he projects that the 49ers will receive three comp picks in the 2023 draft. So this is based on this past offseason, so free agents lost, free agents gained. That formula shakes out during the year. And then in the following year's draft, you get potential comp picks. So the 49ers will receive, and my cat Stephen Purry is um, is weighing in on the comp pick formula. I think he knows what it is, but he can't communicate it to us because he's a cat. Anyways, the 49ers receive a fifth round comp pick for, this is unofficial, the 49ers are projected to receive a fifth-round comp pick for defensive lineman DJ Jones, who went to the Denver Broncos. They are projected to receive a sixth-round compensatory pick for defensive lineman Arden Key, who landed with the Jaguars, and then a seventh-round comp pick for cornerback K1 Williams, who also went to the Broncos. So we also factor in Rand Carthon, who got hired by the Tennessee Titans as their general manager, the 49ers land a 2023 third-round comp pick for that as well. So tack on the four comp picks to their already um, laid-out slate of draft picks. They now have three third-round comp picks from the expanded Rooney rule aiming to increase minority hires in in general manager and head coach positions between Robert Sala and Martin Mayhew and Rand Carthon and Mike McDaniel the 49ers have third round comp picks for years <laughs> and if D'Amico Ryans gets hired they'll get comp picks in 2024 and then in 2025 because you only get one per hiring cycle and if Ryan's doesn't get hired in this cycle, I think he will. But if he doesn't, in the weird off chance that he doesn't, the Niners would receive an additional third-round comp pick for Rand Carthon in 2024. Anyways, 2023 draft. The Niners now have 10 picks, by the way. After unloading a first-rounder for Trey Lance and all that draft capital for Christian McCaffrey, they're going to go in 
right now, as as things stand with 10 picks, if my math is right here. So they have three third-round comp picks. They pick three times at the end of the third round. They have their own fifth-round pick. They have a fifth-round pick via Miami, which they received in the Jeff Wilson Jr. trade. They'll also receive a fifth-round comp pick. So no first, no second, no fourth. But three in the third, three in the fifth. They get the sixth-round comp pick that we just talked about for Arden Key going to the Jags. Then the Niners have their own seventh-round pick. They have a seventh-round pick via Denver from the Jonas Griffith trade a couple of years ago. Everybody remembers that one. Famous trade in 49ers history. Shout-out to Jonas Griffith. The greatest athlete to ever come out of the Indiana State University. Mark that down. Good trivia for you. Shout-out to the person who's angrily yelling about Larry Bird at their at their radio that didn't get the bit. I appreciate you. And then the seventh-round comp pick for, for K1 Williams. So, for a team that's really good at drafting late day two and, and in day three, that's not a bad haul of draft picks. And it's enough ammo that if they do want to move up into the third round or maybe into the back end of the second, they can. So, the Niners, as far as draft compensation this year, I don't foresee that being a, as significant of an issue as it looked like when they unloaded three of their picks for Christian McCaffrey after already not having a first. Like, they're going to be fine come draft day. Maybe it's not day one, and it may not be until late on day two, but the 49ers are, are, are going to have a ton of capital to work with uh, come draft time. When you consider Dre Greenlaw and George Kittle and Elijah Mitchell and <laughs> Brock Purdy and Talanoa Hufanga and all this talent that they've found, Fred Warner, all this talent that they've found in these these middle to late rounds, I think that they're loaded with 10 picks from the end of the third round on. You're pretty confident that they're going to find a couple of productive players in there, although I'd be pretty shocked if they picked all 10 times. I think there's going to be some trading and some maneuvering around the board where uh, where they do move up a little bit and wind up with with fewer than 10 draft picks in 2023. But that's a topic for another day. Going to end this one here. Chris will be back with, so you're listening to this hopefully on Thursday. Chris will be back to record our Thursday pod, which will drop for you on Friday. We'll be looking ahead to the NFC Championship, the third one in four years. Super exciting. Man, remember when NFC Championship games were like a writ, like, like, man, if they could just get back to the playoffs. And now they're in the championship for the third time in four years. Pretty incredible turnaround for this organization. And it's been really fun to be along for the ride here on Candlestick Chronicles. So shout out to Chris, shout out to our producer, Tyler, who just does an unbelievable job and shout out to all of you, the listeners. We appreciate you all uh, immensely. Anytime I get a tweet or we get a tweet or, um, you know, talking about a bit or saying you like the pod or, or I've had people come up in, in public at Trader Joe's and be like, Hey, listen to the pod. I love it. It's honestly the coolest freaking thing. And I never know what to say because it's like, super humbling in a way that I can't even tell you. It's so goddamn appreciated. Um, And wanted to do a solo pod because uh, we said we were going to do one each day. And uh, my homie Ryan Bjork said, loving the daily Candlestick Chronicles. And I was like, well, I can't let my guy Ryan Bjork down, who's the most attractive person I know. Love him to death. Anyways, that's going to do it for this podcast. Subscribe, rate, review if you have not already done that. If you have, 
tell a friend to do the same. Make their life better. That's what friends do. Subscribe to Candlestick Chronicles. Drink Cooperage, Cooperage Brewing, cooperagebrewing.com. Appreciate everybody for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.